0: My subject this morning is law, grace, and freedom. Last week, I talked to you about your faith and your freedom. Uh, This week, we're going to continue our study, but we're going to turn more towards the law, try to understand grace, and look at the freedom that God has given to us as born-again Christians. The Bible says the truth will set you free. If the truth sets you free, then it is error that binds us. So we need to look at that. Because for over 2,000 years, the subject of law and grace has plagued the Christian world. The church has found three possible answers to the questions of law and grace. Now you listen to these three and you figure out where you fit in. One, man tries to make himself acceptable to God by keeping the law. Two, we live by grace and grace alone, and that's God's gift to man. Three, a mixture of both. We are saved by grace and kept saved by following the instructions that God has given to us and keeping his commands. So where are we? Um, 70% of all Christians are in category three. So where are we? I guess my question has always been, how does one who is born again, born of the Spirit, born of God, start in the Christian life with such enthusiastic emphasis on victory in Jesus? And then end up going through such struggles that they feel that there is no hope and that so many have walked away from church today. They look at church and they think it's just too confusing. It just makes you, they just make you feel guilty all the time. Um, and they just don't seem that there's any reason to even go to church. So what are the reasons that we come to church? Is it because we are supposed to, or because we're members, or whatever it is, what is the real reason that we come to church? And I can only think of two reasons why someone would come to church, and that would be That they would come to hear the word of God, find out where God is in their life, or they would come to fellowship with fellow believers. And I would hope that it would be both of those reasons why we attend church. I know that there are some churches that will tell you that if you are not studying your bible enough if you are not praying and fasting enough if you are not giving enough then if you would be doing all those things then god would see you through all of your problems now if that hasn't worked then the next response is that you must be allowing Satan a foothold. You know, I never, never heard that term foothold until about 15 years ago or so. And it seems like somehow Christians feel that if, if, if the devil can get his foot in the door, then he's got you. And so the only conclusion that you can come to is that there's something wrong with me. I'm trying to, I'm studying the Bible. I'm doing all these things. I'm giving. I'm doing all these things, and things are not going right with me. So I must start thinking about, I need to try harder. I need to study more. I need to pray more. I need to fast. I need to do everything I can so that I can please God, and so that he will take care of me, that he will answer my prayers, that he will see me through all these difficult times, these struggles. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at the real truth about the law. And I'm going to tell you right up front that the law is not for Christians. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1 through 8, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. And then the Bible says, Realizing the fact that law is not made for the righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers for murderers. So the Bible says, it's very very plain, that the law is not for us. We are believers. And the immortal man and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So the law was designed for unbelievers, those who are in Adam. But I am sorry to say that a lot of preachers, and I am one of them, I'm sorry to say that we have been guilty of pushing the law upon Christians. And we did it because we believed at that time, or I believed at that time, that we were still under the law. Oh, I read these texts, but I thought that they were what these things meant were for the ceremonial laws, the civil laws, the laws pertaining to sacrifice. So I have to assume as much guilt as anybody, for putting people under the law. In Romans, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So here it is. This is what the law does. It it, it declares a standard and then condemns a person if they do not follow that standard. That's what the law does. In James 2, the Bible says this. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he he has become guilty of all. So James says that it is impossible to keep the law. If you stumble in one point, he says, that you're guilty of all of them. So it's not about God grading us on a curve. You know, some people think that if my good outweighs my bad, then I'm going to be okay. Now, I don't know what they're thinking, whether it's 51% or 60% or 70%. But James says that if you stumble in one point, you're guilty of them all. So it's not about being 80% correct. It's not about keeping 99% of the law. The only acceptable grade to the law is 100%. The only acceptable. You have to be perfect. It's all or nothing. God is not grading us on a curve. In In Galatians, the Bible says this, in Galatians 2.16, it says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. So I think we have it clear in our minds that no one is justified by keeping the law. It's an impossibility. Nobody has done it, and nobody will do it. In Galatians 3.10, the Bible says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. So what is the Bible talking about? What's Paul saying here about what is the book of the law? Well, the book of the law is the Torah. It's the first five chapters of the Bible. That is referred to as the book of the law. In it contains the 613 laws that the Jew- Jewish people were under. And the Bible says that the result of the law is a curse. Because the standard of acceptance under the law is perfection, it's in everything. You have to be perfect in everything. If you offend one, you offend them all. And the reason that Jesus Christ, was in his teaching, he went beyond the written law to the real spirit of the law. And Jesus magnified the law, and he showed how it was impossible for anyone to keep it. We've seen it before. We've studied it before in Matthew 5. Where Jesus was speaking to the Jewish people. And he says, you have read that thou shalt not murder. And he says, I say unto you, that if you are angry at a brother, you are guilty of it. And then he did the same thing with adultery. He says, you have read, you're not to commit adultery. But I say, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what did Jesus mean? He was showing them that if you want to be accepted by God based on your merits, the standard is perfection, both inwardly and outwardly. That is why in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, the Bible says this, Who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant? not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills. So what is the letter? Well, it's the book of the law. So it says the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. And then in Galatians 3.23, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, which shut up, to the faith, I like the way they, they uses it. Some say some translation says they were silenced, but this one says being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. And then it says, therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. So again, the Bible makes it very clear. That the Bible was, or that the law was designed to lead us to Christ. In Christ, the Bible says, therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by him. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So if Christ is the end of the law, then Christ must be our life. The Bible says, in Colossians 1.25, it says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, The mystery which has been hidden from the past ages. Now listen to this carefully. Because there is a mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations. But has now been manifested to his saints. And what is this mystery? To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this ministry among the Gentiles. Which is Christ Christ. In you, the hope of glory. Now, I'm sure that every one of us, when we first heard this, that Christ lives in you, it was a mystery to us. How in the world is that possible? How does that happen? The Bible says, well, it is a mystery. God made you alive in Christ. There is more to the gospel than just the forgiveness of sin. God infused you into Christ. Now, that is a mystery. And the Bible says we had this given to us. There's nothing that we did to receive it. It was done to us when we received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. The Bible says in Ephesians, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. By grace. Grace means it's free. Grace means it's a gift. And you were made alive. You were united in Christ. Well, what does that really mean? Well, it means that your life is tied into his life. Listen to this in John 14, 19. After, this is Jesus speaking. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Now, you want to talk about a text. For security. Here it is. I mean, Jesus Christ is eternal. He is God. When the Bible says that Christ in you is a hope of glory, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and He took residence in you, He is eternal. What does that mean? It means you are eternal. He's in you. So he is eternal. You are eternal. You are enjoying your eternal life right now. Right now. We live because he lives. That's what the Bible tells us. And Paul is right. When he says in Philippians 21, For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Here here is a real test. It's recorded in John 11. This is the experience of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Jesus was speaking to Martha. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Remember, Christ in you, Christ is eternal, you're eternal. He who believes in me will live even. If he dies, and everyone who believes and believes in me, lives and believes in me, will never die. And then he looked at Martha and says, do you believe this? About a week ago, a young man came to the gym where I go, and somebody told him that I was a preacher. So he came to me and he asked me, are you a preacher? Yeah. And um, he asked me this question. He says, tell me, what is the hardest job that a preacher has? Is it trying to hold the church together? Now, I knew what church he went to. I had visited that church about eight times in the four years that I, I was up there. And, I, and um, so I knew some of the difficulties that they were having. And he wanted to know, is it just bringing the people together. He says, I've heard people, you know, the church is split over the carpet and all this other kind of stuff. He says, what is it? Is it motivating the people? Is it just putting up with the problems? What is it? And this is what I told him. I said, you're going to find this hard to believe. But the hardest job for a preacher is to get the people to believe that the Bible is true. I says, no matter where you go, no matter what congregation that you would be facing, if you ask them, do you believe the Bible, they would say yes. But do they believe the Bible? When Jesus said to Martha, do you believe this? Every day that we wake up, we need to ask ourselves the question, Do we believe this? Christ says, I am your life. Do you believe this? You are forgiven forever. Whether you confess that sin or not makes no difference. I'm not against confession. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm just saying, according to the Bible, you were forgiven 2,000 years ago and Jesus Christ announced that it was finished. So you are forgiven forever. And Christ remembers your sins no more. Do you believe this? Christ says that he is your righteousness. Do you believe it? The Bible says that you are complete, and that you are perfect forever. But do you believe this? He says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. But do you believe this? Because I live, you live. Do you believe this? You are a new creation, the Bible says. And Jesus says to you, do you believe this? It's all true. But do you believe it? You see, it's the battle of the mind. That's what this whole Christian life is. It's a battle of the mind. If Satan can convince the Christian to look at his behavior... Constantly worrying whether he's doing the right things and doing enough of the right things. Following all the rules. Doing the right activities to please God. If Satan has you bound in that, you will not be able to see Christ as your life. Satan will use any approach to keep us from experiencing the measure of God's riches. And he uses error. He works through the philosophies of this world. There's no question about it. But he also takes Bible verses out of context and he gets the Christian under law. The truth is, The only way Satan can harm us is through deception. That's the only way. We are safe and secure in Christ. So he tries to deceive us through creating unfounded fears through lies. Paul reveals this amazing truth in Colossians 2, 9 through 10. For in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. Do you believe this? That you are complete? The Bible says that all the fullness of the deity All the fullness dwells in bodily form. In him you have been made complete and he is the head over all rule and authority. Fullness means that we're not missing any part of the person of Christ in our life. It used to be that they used to teach, and I hope they don't teach it anymore, but they used to teach that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, there's several different compartments in your in your being. And somehow you may have allowed Satan to occupy one of the compartments, or you may not have understood what the Bible was saying. And that is a deception from Satan. Because The Bible says you have received the fullness of God. The fullness. We don't have to go looking for anything. We don't have to go looking for an experience. We've got the fullness of God. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Peter 1.3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life, I mean, do we really believe this? He's granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Do we really believe it? You've heard me say over and over again, when we were born again, God performed a surgery. He took out that old heart, that old stony heart, and he gave us the heart of Christ. We are pure here. And you notice the Bible says that he's he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. Our spirit testifies to whether we are born again. I mean, when we do sin... How do we feel about it? We don't feel good about it. No, because we have a pure heart. We are pure at the core. And now the responsibility that I feel as a pastor, that I feel as an evangelist, is to get that down here, up here. To get it up here. We have the fullness We are complete in him. And then Philippians 3, 7 through 9. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. And may be found in him, not having any righteousness of my own delivered from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. There it is. It's really simple. It's all based on our faith in Jesus Christ. So Jesus' question to us is, do you believe it? If you believe that you're a child of God, no worries. You'll act like one. No worries. There will be times that you might not because of circumstances. But overall, you'll act like one. Do you believe it? This is the question that we have to answer. Do I believe that Christ is everything he says he is? Do I believe... Do I believe that Christ... Do I really believe that I am everything he says I am? Do I walk around... Knowing that I'm forgiving, knowing that Christ lives in me, knowing that the only thing He wants is to live through me, and do I do it by faith? Sometimes I feel like the centurion soldier. If Jesus asked me, Gary, do you believe this? I would say, Yes, Lord. But sometimes help my unbelief. So, our question do we believe all of these things are true? And I believe we do. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for all the blessings that you have given to us. We're thankful for all the promises. And, Lord, we do believe, but at the same time, we ask that you help our unbelief. We love you, Lord, because of what you've done, what you are doing, and what you will do. So we, we walk in your spirit. We're thankful for it. We praise you every day of our life. And Lord, I pray that we'll open up our minds large enough, far enough to believe that all things will work for our good because we love you. Bless us to that end, I pray, for I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.